0: West Bowles, good morning. <clears throat> well, if we have not met, whether you're joining us online or in person, my name is Nathan. Uh, I get to be pastor here at West Bowles, and uh, many weeks, if you were just joining us for the first time, you'd probably catch us going through the Gospel of Mark, which is what we've, we've been doing this last spring as a congregation, and that was the plan this week. And then uh, Tuesday took place, and Um, Without going into details, I'm just going to operate under the assumption everybody is aware of the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, in which 19 children and two teachers lost their lives. And so with that in mind, um, just sensed and prayerfully sensed, um, we needed to address something different this Sunday, and um, it's, it's of course on this Memorial Day weekend in which we acknowledge um, the loss of military personnel as well, and, um, but maybe tying those two together a little bit, uh, I want to talk about something this morning, because if there's one word that has emerged over the last few days, um, and, and this theme that I just keep seeing everywhere, it's this idea of hope, hope, that word in the, in the verse up behind us. Uh, penned by Peter. And, and the reason I bring this up is because every single place I've looked, I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, I haven't done a whole lot of digging, but social media and people's mouths are ablaze with, with really the theme of hope. And, and I don't mean like an abundance of it. I mean, people are really, you look at what's being posted and being talked about, and you can really point at an absence of hope. Uh, And we could point at even misplaced hope and alternatives to hope. But as I I stand back from all that and I look at it, I realize we're all hoping in something. The question for us, and the question especially for the church, that that we ought to be able to bring to the conversation is is this. We all hope in something. Is it sufficient? Is it sustainable for us? I mean, it's during a time like this, that it is, it is the followers of Christ that we truly have the answer for people. Which, which means something for us. It means there are some conversations probably to be had. And there are some opportunities for us to step into. But we all hope in something. The question is, is it sufficient? It actually, um, that thought has brought me back to an encounter I had when I was a young adult... And I was helping somebody move some furniture at a house. And, and this was a guy who was well-versed in moving. And I remember showing up, and he's got like this belt around his his lower back and his waist. And he's got all these straps. And he must have seen the smirk on my face as a young man. Because he asked me this question. Do you, uh, do you lift weights? And of course, as a young man, I took that totally the way he didn't mean it. I was like, you notice, huh? And, and it wasn't... It really, that's not what he was getting at. He said, see, when you lift weights, you probably go to a weight room where you're ready for it. You probably go somewhere where you get into position before the lift. You know exactly what to expect. But he said, in my line of work, when I move furniture, I show up at a house and I don't know what I'm going to get. I may be trying to maneuver furniture around a curved staircase and I might be off balance and I might be out of position and he said, What you realize, and you'll realize this as you get older, and his words were true, I've realized this as I've gotten older, is that your strength isn't enough. He said, So I wear belts and I use straps because sooner or later my muscle, my strength is going to give out. This last week put us collectively, I'm, I'm saying all of us in America, off balance. It got us a little out of position. You know what we're discovering right now? And you know what we're seeing across the landscape? Is what people truly hope in. I mean, this last week, I I saw a bumper sticker for the third time now that I've I've just seen driving around here. On the back of this car, this windshield, uh, the rear windshield, it says, leave nothing to hope. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I thought about that a little more, and I thought, even for that person, you know what they're saying? They're saying, I'm sufficient. I'm not going to leave anything to hoping outside of me. I'm going to get me through whatever I go through. You've likely turned on the news or gotten on social media and you've seen the protests. And there are protests everywhere. And there may need to be some protests. And yet those aren't the end-all, the end be-all. They're not the final solution. There are calls for laws to be made. And yes, there may need to be some laws edited, revised, created, updated, but those aren't what we hope in. I I can't imagine a perfect law finally being written that would cause somebody to rethink what's stirring in the heart. We have yet to see it, and we've got the book that walks us through the failure of law. See, we need a savior. We need a savior and see this last week got us out of position, our own strength and our own muscle and our own, whatever it is that we rely on to get through, it's not going to do it. It's just not going to do it. And so I want you to come with me this morning. We're going to take a break from Mark and I want to come to John chapter 11. And the reason I want to come to John chapter 11 is because there are two sisters in there that really pose a question that you have been asking on some level this last week. And it's this, where are you Lord? Lord, Lord, where are you at in the middle of all this? Because as we see the news and we read the headlines, it's not readily apparent where he's at at times, is it? And as you go there, you you discover not just two sisters, but some disciples that are just absolutely bewildered. They're looking at Jesus going, what are you doing? Where are you at And as we walk through John chapter 11, this account in John chapter 11, a tragedy has occurred, and as Jesus moves through the rubble of this tragedy, you know what you see him doing? He's shoring up hope. He's shoring up hope, and and he's, he's saying, look, for some of us, it might need to be a greater hope. For some of us, it might need to be a different hope. For some of us, it might need to be a different picture of hope. But he's shoring up hope for them in three places where hope tends to falter, where we get knocked off balance, and they're the same three places for us. You want to know why? Because it's our human nature. In those three places, maybe it's three groups in this room this morning. There are those that maybe you've been knocked off balance based on what you're seeing right now. For others, it might be what you know, and that what you're seeing right now is just going against everything you know as you look out into culture. And for others... And, and maybe you're a combination of all three of these. It's how you're feeling right now. And yet, in the midst of it, Jesus is just doing what Jesus does. And you know what? When when we get through it, I'm confident that you'll understand exactly why Peter says what he says in First Peter chapter three. Always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. And John chapter 11 shows what an incredible reason. We have for hope. So let's take a look. First off, you've got Jesus and he, he's with the disciples and, and the disciples, they're, they're, uh, they're new in their journey following Jesus. And, and as they're looking around, they really, you, you look at his conversation with them and you realize that Jesus is going to begin shoring up and working through what they see because nothing makes sense. Listen to this in uh, John 11 verses 1 and 3. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus would have heard the one you love, he immediately would have gone, Oh, it's Lazarus. It's it's Martha and Mary's brother. He's sick. Verse 4, When he heard this, Jesus said this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, in, in the time that the word is getting to Jesus, or maybe shortly after he heard it, what we'll, what we'll see here in just a little bit is that Lazarus in that time had died. And so Jesus just said, this is not going to end in death. It's going to end in glory. And yet we have to contend with Lazarus has died. And so you're wondering, well, what's going to prevail here? I mean, Jesus, how, how does that even work? And Jesus, as he looks at the situation, he's, he's getting at something. That death will not be the end result of this situation or this person. God's glory will. And see, he looks at their situation. He looks at your situation, my situation, collectively our situation. You know what he says? He says, death will not be the takeaway from this. There's going to be something greater than that. There's going to be glory that comes out of it. He looks at the situation and he sees hope. He sees hope. So the conversation continues. It says this, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, why does John tell us that? Because you're going to need to hold on to that when you read what happens next. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed. Okay, that makes no sense, Jesus. I I thought you loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And you stayed? Yeah, John says he, he stayed where he was. Two more days. This wasn't just another hour. This was a couple days. This is time that maybe if Lazarus was still alive in this window of time, Jesus could have gotten there. And Jesus could have done something. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And you're looking at this, and you're thinking, okay, so Jesus, when you should go, you stay, and now that it's been two days, you decide it's time to go. What, what is going on here? And they continue to have a conversation, and it's one of those things where the disciples think they understand, but they, they don't understand. But when you look at what they, they begin talking about, it has to do with something beyond what we can see in front of our faces. And the whole time we get to read it, because we're in John, we know Jesus is thinking about Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But I want you to just stop and put yourself in their shoes for a minute. In Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' shoes. See, when somebody's not showing up, what do we do? Doesn't our thinking kind of start to go downhill? Don't we begin to kind of assume the worst? Don't we kind of begin to lose hope. But again, we get the benefit of looking at this and going, okay, Jesus, he's, he's focused on him, but for whatever reason, he's not going yet. We get to verse 14. And, and I got to tell you, this may be the most insensitive thing. If you were to just pluck this out of scripture, you would think Jesus is the most insensitive person who ever lived. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake... I am glad I was not there. What? I mean, it just, nothing Jesus is doing is making any sense whatsoever. What do you mean, Jesus? What possible purpose could you have? What possible purpose could you have not to go right to his side right now and do something about it when you have the power to do something? And the reason, he says this, so that you May believe. Whoa. You mean that my belief and our belief is so important to you that you would actually delay in our eyes, that you would maybe stand back, that you would not jump right in and intervene and, and we would see the very hand of God? You would actually delay in order to grow our faith? And Jesus goes, Yeah. Yeah, my relationship with you and your trust in me is that important. Now that, I don't know about you, that's kind of a whole new level, if you ask me. That is a completely different level. And yet, if you think about it, faith that isn't tried is little faith, isn't it? See, you don't really know how strong faith is and how big belief is until it's tried. Right? I mean, of course, if Jesus was right there at his side, he could do something about it. But Jesus is beginning to equip his disciples with what they're going to need for one day when he is gone. And to equip you and I for this age that we live in where Jesus doesn't physically walk around in the flesh amongst us, but he's present with us in a different way. He said, yeah, your faith is that important to me. And upon saying that, I I don't know, maybe John put this here for a little bit of comic relief. Okay, Thomas. Thomas, known as Didymus. Okay, do you guys have Eeyore in your life? Like, you just have somebody who's Eeyore? Don't point at him right now, okay? But yes, we all have Eeyore. Listen to what he says. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Right? And you're just, you're kind of going, okay, I get it, Thomas. Yeah, this looks a little hopeless. But there's a truth here. There's a truth here that we can't pass. Especially when it comes to what we're seeing in front of us. When we can't see him, he still sees us. And I don't think that's new news to anybody in here. But when the fog of tragedy and sadness and heartbreak shows up, it's not so much about learning new things as much as coming back to what we know, right? When we can't see him, he still sees us. A man named Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. And in there, he talks about a man named James Stockdale. James Stockdale was an admiral in the Navy, and his plane went down in Vietnam. And so he was a POW in Vietnam for for a long, long time. Well, he ended up being rescued, and he came out of there. And years later, in an interview, James Stockdale, he was being interviewed for this book, and, and he was asked... When you were there, when you were in this POW camp and you were tortured and the conditions were just unbearable and it just, it looked hopeless, could you tell who was going to make it and who wasn't? He said, oh yeah, that was easy. You want to know who didn't make it? It was the optimists. The optimists. Because he said what would happen is they would get in their minds that, oh, we're going to be out of here by Christmas. And then Christmas showed up and there was no rescue. And then they thought, oh, we're going to get out of here by Easter. And then Easter showed up, and there was no rescue. And then they thought, oh, we'll get out of here by Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving came around, and there was no rescue. And he said many of the optimists died from a broken heart because they were living based on what they could see. But he said internally there had to be something. And this, this is actually paralleled in Viktor Frankl, his book, his incredible book, from his account of the Holocaust. He says there has to be something deeper inside that knows, despite what I'm seeing in front of me, that something's going to come through, all of this. See, when we can't see him, he still sees us. And if you're struggling with what you're seeing in front of you right now, if if that describes you, you got to know that. you got to know that even though Jesus isn't with with Lazarus, he's, he's got him on the heart and on the mind. And he intends to act on it. The next piece, maybe the next group, is those who you're struggling with what you know. You know, in the aftermath of a tragedy like this, when we see evil of any kind, you know, I think what struck me so much about this, this last week is, is just, there's a progression to it. This community knows well what happened at Columbine High School. In 1999. And now in elementary school. It's just. It's it's evil in all forms. But there seems to be this progression to it. And I know it definitely knocked off balance. A few things. That we know. Or that we seem to know. And that's the nature of this conversation with Martha. Look what happens. Jesus shows up. In verse 17. On his arrival. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, that would have been significant because Jews believed that there was about a three-day window that maybe the spirit was still near the body before it was gone. And so four days, four days, I mean, that window's gone. That has passed. The body had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But look look at this. But Mary stayed at home. Why did Mary stay at home? Why do you think Mary stayed at home? She's upset. She's upset. And and we'll see in a moment. She's going to echo the question that her sister Martha is going to ask Jesus right now. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you lived with if before? Have you lived with if only? You know, we, we do this, this mental game where we start rationalizing. Okay, if this had gone this way and if this had gone that way, then we wouldn't be in this situation. And do you know what if leads you to? You begin to start pointing fingers. If only, if only, if only, if only. And you know what we start doing is we begin rehearsing something that Jesus doesn't intend for us to rehearse, as we'll see in his answer here in a moment. But it's easy to live there, isn't it? And for as much as I would would want to reply to Martha right after she says this statement, she says something that I think just describes the back and forth all of us go through. Next. If you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now... Even now. Four days later, even now. My brother's gone, even now. We're a wreck. We are just a mess. We're just sitting in the rubble of tragedy, even now. I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus replies, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. And she's going to do that thing that we all do internally. I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, right? Isn't this what we do? I know one day, one day, there's going to be a reunion. One day, one day, and we look down the road to this nebulous, vague future. Yeah, one day, it'll be like that, and we'll see it. This is what well-meaning people say to you when you're going through loss, right? One day, one day, and Jesus' answer is a reminder for every single one of us. Jesus uh, excuse me, Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die." Do you believe this? Now, I just want to point you to something just in the literature here. Do you notice her, her tense? Is future oriented? I know, one day. One day he will. And yet, what, is, what tense is Jesus speaking in right now? I am. I am. No, 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 right now, Martha. Right now, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, there is a one-day component to this, but present tense, I am the resurrection and the life. See, that's, that's a little bit different, isn't it? And then he ends with this question. And it's the question for every single one of us. We find out Martha, Martha answers yes to this, but he asks her and he asks you and me, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that in the rubble of tragedy, when things are down and when just everything around us seems to be laid waste, do you believe this? That I am, present tense, right now, the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? See, there's, there's another truth. It's not just that when we can't see him, he still sees us. But there's another truth that Jesus is bringing out here. That resurrection is not only an event someday. It's a person in the present. It is not just an event someday. That's part of it resurrection life is a person in the present, and you got to know that. you got to know it, because as long as we, we separate the person of Jesus Christ as resurrection life, you know what we start hoping in? We start hoping in laws and protests and events and things to change. And yes, those things should be the overflow of people who have the most solid hope in Jesus Christ. Those, those should be the overflow, but they are not the answer. They can't be. I've shared this before in the, in the aftermath of the shootings at Columbine High School years ago. Uh, we, had, we had somebody, or as a church, made the decision to plant 15 trees back here out on the field for, to represent 15 families who had lost somebody. So, of course, that included the families of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold the perpetrators that day well it was not a popular decision in fact some protesters showed up here on a sunday morning and i think what i remember most that day aside from abraham lincoln a guy showed up dressed like abraham lincoln there is a just if you see footage of a protest somewhere you will still to this day see a guy dressed as abraham lincoln in the middle of every protest it's it's bizarre but anyway, so Abraham Lincoln and a group of people showed up here and they were protesting. And as I sat there, I just thought they had all these Bible verses and they had all these, you know, there was, there was some yelling and, and they were not happy. And I can, I can understand. I can absolutely understand. But I think it was just the vitriol coming out of their mouths. They're just so angry. Meanwhile, the youth are, like, taking coffee out to them. And, and, you know, they're they're screaming and yelling, oh, thank you, okay, ah! You know, and it was was bizarre. But you know what it reminds me of as I look back is that this hope that something human-initiated is going to be the final solution. That is not the hope for us. It's not. It's what God initiated and what he initiates. And he will use his people. He absolutely will. Anyhow, maybe there's a third group in this room. Maybe your struggle is not so much with what you're seeing in front of you, and it's not just reworking what you know, that resurrection life isn't this far off, one day in heaven thing, but it's a right now person. But for still others, and I imagine this is all of us on some level, it's how we're feeling right now in the midst of all this because it just, I don't know about you, but there was a part of this week that just slowed me to an emotional crawl as I was watching this thing. And Jesus even deals with that in his conversation with Martha's sister, Mary. After she had said this, Mary had said, yes, I I believe you are resurrection life, Jesus. I believe you're the Messiah. After she had said this, verse 28, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. See, so she's been sitting. And then she got up quickly. And we read that those that were sitting comforting her, they got up or they noticed just how fast she got up and went out of there. And I might be reading this into the text, but I'm reading this going, oh, she is mad, mad, mad. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, there's a logical if only, and then there's a you feel if only, don't you? I mean, if something would have gone different, there's an emotional range in all that as well. And in the midst of that place, you can't miss what happens next. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And that's our English description of it. If you to go to the original Greek, do you want to know what it says? He quaked with anger. He quaked with rage. Not at Mary, not at Martha, not at Lazarus, but at death. He is, he is so angry at what the enemy, the final enemy death has done. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And verse 35. If you've struggled in the midst of all this with how you're feeling, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. See, this is that part of the heart of God that he says, look, there's more going on than what you see, and I want to readjust what you think you know. But as you navigate how this feels, I'll sit with you. I will sit in the midst of this with you. I mean, isn't that interesting? I mean, he's got all the power to see her upset, and he's, he's filled with this anger at death. And he could have just kept right on going, but he stopped. And he said, no, Mary, I don't to weep with you. I'll enter into that. See, if you and I were sitting in a theology class right now, you know what you would discover? There, there would one day be a conversation about these traits of God, the transcendence of God, and the imminence of God. And I'm not here to teach you big long words or anything like that, but the transcendence of God is what we often think of, right? We think big, and we think beyond, and we think the cosmos, and we think just so far out of our reach. But the imminence of God, you know what that gets into? the details. That he is so God, that yes, he's out there, and he's so beyond everything, but he's also so involved in everything that we're going through. You know, a lot of people like to treat this like, oh, that means he cares that my sports team wins this weekend, right? So you start praying for the kicker to make the field goal. Now, what this is, is when that kicker misses the field goal, Jesus weeps with you. Okay, no, I don't think he cares, actually, but but he's in it with us. He's in it with us. See, that's the third thing you got to know. When we can't see him, he still sees us. The resurrection life is not a someday event only. It's a person in the present. But then he meets you where you're at. Jesus' resurrection life will meet you and me where we're at. I've... I've, um, Unfortunately, and, and in the life of a Christian, this is a celebratory event, but um, I've had the, the tough task of doing funerals um, as pastor. And if there's one funeral, I mean, I don't forget any of them, but if there's one that stands out in my memory, it was actually Memorial Day years ago. Um, the one-year-old son of two people we were in youth group with didn't wake up. They had had his birthday party. It was May uh, 23rd was his birthday, May 25th. Uh, they, they had had his birthday party. He went down for a nap and never woke up. I remember driving to this funeral and sobbing. It was down in Monument, just or Castle Rock, just sobbing the entire way. And I remember thinking, Lord, where could you possibly be? walked in, the casket is this big. And I just will never forget the size of this casket in the immense gravity of the situation. And the next day, we, uh, we had the service one afternoon. The next morning, uh, it was a private family thing out at the cemetery. And so we go out to the cemetery, and uh, there, there's family and a few friends there. And as they're beginning to gather around, the grave, you know, this grave has been dug, the casket is on this stand that it's going to be lowered in, but they had yet to position the casket completely, so they had a tarp over this this grave that had been dug, and this three-year-old cousin is just wandering around the grave, and he fell in, fell in, and at first there was a gasp, but then I, I, like, ran behind the tallest headstone I could find, and I thought, that was kind of funny, actually. Um... And I see, I look over and I see for the first time in days, this mom and this dad who had lost their one-year-old, and they are cracking up behind another headstone. And I thought, oh my goodness, even in the most unimaginable of times, there's something here. There's life here. Now, just so you know, the three-year-old was fine. He probably needs counseling for the rest of his life, but... I thought, there it is. There it is. In every bit of struggle that we go through, he meets us where we're at. Now, if you were to just stop there, would that be enough to begin to shore up some of the hope that's been dashed or maybe ground upon for you? Whether it was this last week or maybe it's been the last season of life, For the last decade, I don't know what it is. I don't know every single story in here. But if we could turn our eyes upon Jesus as was sung this morning, would that begin to shore up hope a little bit? Let me tell you where it went for them. Let's read. Verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. Now Martha, she's going back and forth, right? She's saying even now, but then what she says here. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days, Jesus. I just want to remind you, you waited four days now. And I think Jesus may have smiled inside because I think maybe he was thinking, well, watch this. Despite what you've seen, despite what you think you know, despite what you're feeling, (laughs) look what happens. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Don't miss that. Who is this for? For those standing here. When you go out these doors, do you want to know what you walk into? Those standing here. Those standing around, they can make no sense of what they see. They they don't know what they know or don't know anymore. And there's, of course, the gravity of what they're feeling. And Jesus says, I'm about to do something for the benefit of those watching. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And then Jesus makes this statement that had physical implications for Lazarus, but spiritual implications for every single one of us who is a follower of Christ. Verse 44, Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let them go. Take off the grave clothes and let them go. Did you catch that? Take off the grave clothes and let them go. See, you might be able to relate to the disciples, and you might be able to relate to Mary and to Martha But you know who all followers of Christ can relate to? Lazarus. Lazarus. The question is, are we still wearing the grave clothes? Because Jesus says, take them off. Take them off to the glory of God. Take them off. This last week, I've seen too many people with grave clothes on calling for action. And action is needed, but you cannot do it with a grave mindset. You can't do it, and we can't do it. Laws may need to be passed, but it can't be done from a grave mindset with grave clothes on. It just can't, because it's just hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. Can you imagine being pulled from the grave and still wearing grave clothes? I mean, I don't know. Lazarus might have been at rest, and he might have been a little irritated that he was brought back into all this. But Jesus, nevertheless, said, take off the grave clothes. And so, as we move forward in the days ahead, as we walk out of this building, that's the question. How how are we moving forward? I mean, if you're in here and you're not a follower of Christ, I can't imagine how you process stuff like this. And I can't imagine what the hope is. Because eventually that hope is dashed at every turn. But if you are a follower of Christ, you know what you can know? You can know that even though you can't see him, he still sees you. You can know that resurrection life is a person in the present. And you can know that he meets you where you're at. We grieve. But we grieve not at a grave. We grieve with hope. We grieve with hope. When I think about those children and the lives lost, and I think about Jesus' heart for children, I can hope in this. That the one whose eye is on the sparrow absolutely has his eye on them. And it is painful, but we can hope. We can hope in that. When we walk out of here, here's my prayer. That we would, each of us, have a reason for the hope that we have. So that when somebody asks, because somebody's going to ask, how are you getting through this? How are you doing it? Because I'm struggling with it. We have. That hope—that is the resurrection and the life. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, this week of all weeks, we come before you, and um, as we think about loss, there's of course this last week in Texas, but there's also uh, what we what we saw earlier in service, just watching that video. There's loss over years and years, military personnel. Um, the school shootings that we see, all the horrific things we see in the news. Lord, it's enough to dash our hope, if not for you. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you you would speak to each and every single one of our hearts. Take off the grave clothes so that we'd be able to see as Martha sees that even now, in the midst of the unthinkable and the unimaginable, even now, you show up. And not only do you show up, but you empower us with your Holy Spirit to show up, clothed in life, to be able to speak hope to those who are standing there watching. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.